Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Our next guest started 11 games as an Indianapolis Colt, and as I had just mentioned, I believe was the most critical final piece to get the Colts over the hump and getting them a Super Bowl championship here in Indianapolis. You now, of course, see his work on ESPN on Monday Night Countdown, notably. Booger McFarland joins us on the program. Booger, how are you? Doing good, James. What's happening? Uh, well, we're you know, this is an intriguing game. We were just talking about this and I'm interested in your perspective. I, I feel like between Indianapolis and Jacksonville this weekend, you could make a pretty compelling case, really, for both teams. Uh, I didn't think that was going to be the case at the beginning of the year with the Colts, but they seem to kind of be ahead of schedule. Now, you know, obviously with Richardson out, maybe that changes things. But um feels like Indianapolis is a little ahead of where we thought they'd be, and Jacksonville has yet to get the firm footing we thought they'd have. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah, I would just add that Jacksonville went over to London and they were, what, one and two, and they won two games in a row. Uh, they beat two pretty good teams. They beat Atlanta. They beat Buffalo. And, and I think you, you can kind of say that they righted the ship a little bit. Uh, as far as Indy's concerned, uh, you would love to see Richardson on the field because the only way you can get better at the quarterback position is by playing. However, I, I think Gardner Minshew has proved himself to be a very capable backup since he's been in the league. Um, you know, the biggest thing for Indy is now how do you incorporate Jonathan Taylor into this offense and, and, and continue to develop the young guys on the outside? Uh, the offensive line has to continue to try to get back to the form that they were a couple of years ago. Um, but I, overall, I, I think your statement about Indy being a little bit ahead of where they were, I think it's true. I would add that Jacksonville winning those two games again over in London, kind of riding the ship a little bit. Uh, has kind of put them back on track, especially now, because it's still early in the season. Now let's go back to the part about Anthony Richardson, Booger, because, you know, obviously the health has been, I guess, an issue, you'd say, right? I mean, we have yet to see him really consistently get going. But from what you have seen, very small sample size, but from what you have seen, we've heard a lot about how, you know, he has played well. But I want your perspective in terms of the areas that he still – shows the greatest vulnerability other than health would be what? Well, I, I think continuing to uh, just progress as a passer. I, I think, you know, he only started, what, 12 games at, at Florida. Uh, so you, you couple the what, four or five games he started. So he's only started and played like 16, 17 games in the last couple of years. And so um, he's got to continue to grow and, and see the field. Uh, but I, I think I've been pleasantly surprised because I was one of the guys that was very critical of him and critical of, of Chris Ballard picking him that high. However, uh, he has shown to be a little bit more accurate than I thought he would be. Uh, he has been developed very well so far by this staff. Uh, I, I love the way that Coach Steichen and all of them are, are kind of pouring into this guy. And so um, I, I would say, man, if, if you're an Indianapolis co-fan, you got to feel really, really good about where he's at and his development, because I think he's ahead of schedule. I also think that, you know, his ability to continue to learn um, how to run, because this league is, is different than college football. College football, you can run and, and run for 80 yards as a quarterback. Other than Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick, not too many people are going to do that. you got to learn and know when the journey's over. Get your 5, 6, 10, 15 yards, and then get out and go out of bounds. And that's tough to do when you're 6'4", 240, and you can do backflips and, you know, run around buildings and all that good stuff. So, uh, overall, I think the the arrow is definitely pointing up. But he's got to get back on the field because he started, what, five games? He's only finished, what, two? Uh, and, and so, you, if you're a Colts fan, that's not a good percentage as far as your quarterback starting and then finishing games. So, he's got to find a way to protect his body so he can continue to develop and become the passer that I think everyone thinks he can become. Booger, with that, you know, we're going to see a quarterback on, on Sunday. I've talked about this, but I want your opinion on it. And Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, we've known is going to be the guy for like 10 years. I mean, since he was like in eighth grade, people knew that he was he had this special quarterback ability. But 
when you see guys coming out of the Clemsons, the LSUs, your alma mater, you know, schools like that, that, that have dynamic Sunday level receivers they're throwing to at college, it seems like that's where the learning curve really comes into the pros because the windows are so much closer and you don't get the separation like you have at the college level. So could that be to an advantage to Anthony Richardson and the fact that he was throwing, albeit on a small sample size, to receivers at Florida that didn't have that separation and thus learning the, the, the decrease in the windows for him will not be as big a learning curve as other quarterbacks? Or am I being too bullishly optimistic for him? No, I, I like the optimism. I, I just don't know if I would find it at that particular point. I think, you know, if you just look at the guys that have come in this league and been ready to play, I'll give you a prime example. Let's look at C.J. Shroud. Because of all the rookie quarterback, I, I think C.J. has done the best so far. He hasn't turned the football over. Uh, and if you go back and watch his tape at college, he was throwing the wide-open guys. Like, I mean, there was nobody within five or ten yards of some of those receivers at Ohio State. So did he really learn anything from that? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, just like anything in life, guys, it's about time on task. And I think the more time you, you do something, the better, at it, the better at it that you get. And I think if you're Anthony Richardson, um, the more he sees it, the better he's going to get. He, he's better now than he was when training camp started. And I think coaching matters. If you don't believe coaching matters, look at Tua Tunga Valor. Under Brian Flores, we were saying Tua was a bust. Now Tua's in the MVP conversation under Mike McDaniel. So it matters when you put your players in position to succeed. It matters when those players are comfortable. And it matters when you kind of accentuate what they do well and minimize some of the things that they don't, which is the point I think the Colts have really mastered so far. They're not asking him to drop back and throw it 40 times and, and go one to two to three back to one. It's a very, and I don't mean to minimize it, but it's a very simplistic game plan where we're, we're trying to win while also developing a quarterback at the same time, which is very hard. And so I commend them for what they've done right now. ESPN's Booger McFarlane is our guest. Booger, we talked a lot in the offseason as Shane Steichen was developing his staff, how imperative it was to try to retain Gus Bradley because it felt like that the group was pretty solid defensively a year ago and that another year with his tutelage would help this group. You've seen it from Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed, of course, DeForest Buckner, a mainstay. What have you thought of year two with the Colts of Gus Bradley in this defense? Well, Gus has kind of shifted and changed a little bit. You know, for the longest um, I've known Gus. I, I know Gus when he first got in the league and got started. You know, Gus was a you know drop back and play cover three in three deep zone, and we're going to rush. And Gus didn't like the blitz. Well, you, Gus has kind of had to change a little bit because this league is now a passing league, and if you can't get pressure on a quarterback, it doesn't matter what kind of coverage you or, or zones you run because they're going to be holes in every zone. So I give Gus a lot of credit for shifting and changing and being able to morph into. Uh, what he needs to for this team to be able to be successful. I think the health of Shaq Leonard uh, is going to continue to be key and has been key. I think DeForest Buckner continue to kind of be that three technique that can put a knife in these offenses. Uh, I think Quiddy Pay and some of these guys that are, are up front have to continue to develop because, guys, let, let's be honest, it doesn't matter what defense you run. If you don't have three, four guys up front that can actually – get off the ball and get to the quarterback and create negative plays, it doesn't matter. That's why San Francisco is successful. That's why if you look at Philadelphia, they're successful. When the Rams were humming and Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and those guys were, were humming, you got to have some difference makers up front. And as long as those younger guys continue to develop and DeForest Buckner continues to play uh, at a very high level, then this defense will be successful because Gus is – proven that he's not stubborn. Uh, there was a, probably a, a two-year period there where you're like, eh, maybe, maybe we need to do something different. Maybe the game is shifted. But Gus has adjusted, and I give him a lot of credit for that. It does feel to me, Booger McFarland, like we're starting to find – I think Chris Ballard, he didn't beg for – that's the wrong word, but he emphasized, I guess you'd say, patience – in terms of the guys he was drafting, you know, they put a lot of resources into that defensive line with Dio and, as you mentioned, Quiddy Pay. And, you know, and those guys now, maybe it took a little bit to get jump started, but it does seem like now you can start to see that light at the end of the tunnel and that that line is coming together and that they are improving week to week. Uh, would you agree with that? And where would you say defensively Indianapolis still has some weakness? 
Well, I, I, first of all, you, you can never have enough guys up front. Um, you, you couple that with, with Shaq and Kenny Moore and, and, and how those guys play. I think you have to have the ability to line up and play man coverage at some point, though. So where where, where do they need to kind of continue to improve? I, I would say that would be the first area. But Chris Ballard is one of the more underrated GMs in football, and people have given him a lot of flack over the years uh, based on um, – a lot of things, and most recently how he handled the Jonathan Taylor situation. But I think when you look at talent acquisition, you look at the offensive line he put together a few years ago, you look at drafting those guys on defense, he's proven to understand and know talent. Uh, I know Chris. Chris understands how to build a team the right way. Um, he's tough. He, he's mentally tough. He's, he's hard-nosed. Um, but he's also very fair. Uh I think what he did with, with Jonathan Taylor shows that he's not as stubborn as some people think he is. And, and, and for him to get this uh, get that deal done, for Taylor to come in, uh, now you got a one-two punch, even though people may say it's just a one. But if you look at Taylor and Moss, I think you got a, a serious one-two punch there where you can kind of ease Taylor back in. And, and, and now you have a foundation how to develop a quarterback. And so um, I like what they've done defensively. Um, but the ability to lock down and play man coverage on the outside and, and continue to – like you need seven, eight guys up front now. Like you need seven or eight that can absolutely go. And so I would say man coverage and the ability to just continue to develop that depth up front will be the key. But here's the thing with – to play devil's advocate here, Booger, with Chris Ballard, year seven and – and still, you know, kind of maybe it's not a total rebuild, but a retool for sure. How many years do you give a GM before you can say for certain you know who they are? Well, I, I, I think you have to kind of look at what they've done. And, and I don't know all the details, but it sounds like to me when Frank was there, Frank was, you know, picking and choosing the quarterbacks that he wanted. And so can you really say Chris – was able to kind of turn the roster over because you can't really do that until you get the quarterback. And so during, you know, during the, the Wentz, uh, Rivers, all that good, that era where we were trying to find a quarterback up in Indy, uh, you, you were really just kind of putting a Band-Aid on it. And so um, I think in year seven, you look, at the, you look at the hits and the misses, all right? Like if you look at the most talented team in football right now, I, I think it's Buffalo – I think it's San Francisco. I think it's uh, Miami. Just look at their hits and misses. I mean, I remember the time when John Lynch drafted Ruben Foster and Solomon Thomas, what, two, three. I think he drafted both of those guys in the first round. Both of those guys were were misses. But if you look at the hits that he's got, it's been unreal. You get uh, Nick Bosa. You get Dre Greenlaw. You get Fred Warner. Like, you got to have more hits and misses. Nobody's going to be perfect. And so it'd probably be a good exercise for you guys to do. Take a look at the hits and take a look at the misses. If you really want to judge Chris Ballard fairly, A, you judge him on a franchise quarterback. This is the guy that he's taken in Anthony Richardson. And then you start the list. How many guys has he hit on? And by hit on, here's what I, here's, here's what I would say. How many guys that you draft that have gotten a second contract either in Indy or somewhere else? Because I would call that a hit. That means they are good enough and they perform well enough where somebody or Indy has paid them a second deal. And how many guys were Indy drafted that those guys either are out of the league or they are not getting a long-term deal? So I, I don't call a one-year deal. Like if a guy moves on and gets a one-year league minimum. Okay, I, I don't know if I necessarily call it, call it a hit. And so just judge him fairly on that because in this day and age of analytics and statistical data, you can clearly see and take a look at what he's done. And, and I think that would be a fair assessment as to where he is as a general manager. But I like him. I think he's built a really good team in Indy. But ultimately, when you're a general manager, you got to do two things. you got to choose a head coach, and you got to choose a quarterback. And so regardless of everything he's done, he's going to be judged on those two things. You know, it's interesting because he's had, to your point, Booger, like the 18 draft is unbelievable, right? I mean, Quentin Nelson, Shaq Leonard, Braden Smith's a solid player. Naeem Hines, they were able to flip, but you get Zaire Franklin in the seventh round, who's a really good player, obviously, and is going to be for a long time. Then you have other years where the guys up top didn't get a second contract or were moved before the contract came up. But to your point, I think at this point, you know, some of those guys, the, the 
the 21 draft in particular, we're just now starting to, to really see it. And I think there are some players there. Um, you know, Will Fries was a seventh rounder, still in the roster. Pay, Dio. Some of those guys are just now starting to come in, which would support your argument there, right? I mean, like they're just now starting to really show what they can do and we'll see what happens with them moving forward. Before we let you go, I did want to ask you this. We had your former head coach, Tony Dungy, on yesterday. And I asked him a question. He gave a very interesting answer. And that is, Booger, I asked Tony Dungy to tell me like the moment that he could recall going home from work and saying, okay, I've got a pretty good situation here in Indy and I'm in pretty good shape. You're a little bit different because obviously you were a late acquisition before that Super Bowl push and I believe you were the final piece personally. But can you give me a moment or just a time that you can look back on and reflect and say, I remember vividly when I first showed up in Indianapolis, when I knew that we were in pretty good shape, and obviously it was a good team, but was there a specific moment where you just looked around and went, yeah, we got something special here? First of all, what did what did Tony say, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, he said when we got Booger Mc... No, I've said that forever. What Tony Dungy said was that when he came here from Tampa, that he had a policy where on Mondays after games – they would run practices essentially for those that didn't play in the game to allow those that played to get their body right and then to allow those that didn't play to, to be able to walk through, you know, stay in, in, in rep, right? And so it was basically a backups practice on Monday. And that he came in one day and Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Edron, and Peyton were like, no, like if we're going to be here in the building, we are here to practice. We're here to get better every day regardless of what day of the week it is. And so they went ahead and ran that Monday practice with the starters, and Dungy said, I knew then that I had a different mentality amongst my roster. Well, what I would say is this, is that, you know, when I first got there, it was second week of October. I can't remember when the trade deadline was. Um, And obviously I didn't want to come in and try to ruffle feathers and things like that. So I just came in and just just tried to go to work and listen. Obviously, at the time, the defense needed help, and 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 that was the reason why they, you know, Bill and Chris gave up a second round pick for me. Uh, there was something that happened off the field uh, that I, that I think changed our fortune. You know, we used to do something in Tampa, you know, Thursday night because typically Wednesday and Thursday are your two tough days of practice. So Thursday night is kind of a night where guys kind of okay, the hay's in the barn as far as the physical labor in the week. Now we can kind of relax a little bit. And in, in Tampa, we would go out to dinner like as a defense on Thursday nights. And we wouldn't do it every Thursday night, but most of them we would go out. Uh, when I got the ending, nobody ever did that. It was kind of like a it, it was 50, it was 53 independent contractors. And everybody just kind of did their own thing. And and so I, I, I asked, um, I forget who it was, maybe Gary Brackett or somebody. I said, what's the best restaurant in town? I said, Let's go to St. Elmo's. Okay, cool. Let's figure out. Tell everybody on defense we're going. They're like, for what? I was like, we're going to hang out and we're going to eat. And we're not going to go game plan, but we, let's just let's just go break bread and, and have a meal together. And we did that. And we started doing that uh, at different times. Sometimes we would do it on Friday. We would go to over the country kitchen and then everybody would – we'd have 10 or 15 of us over there. We would go to a different restaurant. But what that did is for a, for a defense that was getting hammered and it was much maligned, I think it created a cohesiveness where people got to know everybody, man. Like when you're on that field in between those lines, man, ain't no coaches out there. Like you got to know that the guy next to you has everything uh, buttoned up and you got to trust that he's going to be where he's supposed to be. Well, how can you do that if you really don't know me? I get it. We're pros and all that. But how can you really do that if you don't know who you're lining up next to? When I look you in the eye, because sometimes, sometimes you're so tired you can't speak. When I look you in the eye, I got to know who I'm, who I'm lining up next to. And I think those meals, especially the first couple that we had, changed the fortune of our defense. Uh, and we didn't see that right away because we still struggled throughout the regular season. But when we got to the postseason, uh, I'll never forget the game against Kansas City. Larry Johnson led the league in rushing that year. We stoned him. We go to Baltimore, Jamal Lewis, and we stone him. We come back home, and we're down 21, what, six to, to the Patriots. And I'll never forget, man, I didn't have all the scar tissue that everybody else had because, I mean, I knew the Patriots and the Colts were bitter rivals 
but I didn't have all that scar tissue from years past where time had broken uh, had broken everybody's heart. And so, man, we're down. And I'm like, hey, guys, like, we put too much work in for, for us to to just kind of give in right now. And, and I'll never forget Tony at, at halftime said, guys, it's it really simple. It's our time. Like, regardless of what you're thinking, what you what it looks like, it's our time. And that second half, man, I mean, we took Tom Brady and took him to the mat. And, and, and when Marlon made the pick in that game, you kind of had a feel and knew uh, it was our time. And so, yeah, I wouldn't point to a particular game, and I'm sorry to give a long-winded answer. I would just say it was those dinners, man, where everybody on defense got an opportunity to, to really know each other. That's when I knew it was different because everybody knew we could score points. But what was going to be the difference this season as opposed to the previous, I don't know, whatever many seasons where Peyton and Marvin and Reggie put up, a, you know, 30 points a game, but they, they, had, they didn't have anything to show for it. You know, it, it's funny, Booger. It's kind of like the miracle on ice, you know, the, the United States beats the Russians in hockey. People forget that was the semifinal. They had to come back and beat Finland like two days later to win the gold. And that, that run for you guys – the Patriots game is the one that people here still talk about, and then it's like, oh, that's right, they still had to beat the Bears too. You know what I mean? Like, I, to be honest with you, the, the it's it's a pretty big accomplishment, I think, to be able to turn around coming off of that that comeback and that high to then it had to have been was it a challenge to? And I know it's a Super Bowl, so it's like Jake, it's a Super Bowl. There's no challenge in focusing for a Super Bowl, but was it a challenge though to 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 get back to brass tacks and be like, we still got a job to do here. Was it a challenge? Uh, yeah, of course, it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge. But I I think the reason that it, it it was it wasn't as much of a challenge is because we had a week off, and you know while we were in Indy, you know we kind of put you know put all the hay in the barn, and then Tony gave us the weekend off I think, and then we everybody kind of you know dissipated and got away or whatever, and then we came back and had a walkthrough Monday morning I think, and then we flew down to Miami uh, Monday night. And it was just one of those things, man, that when you got to the Super Bowl city and you got a chance to lock in, um, I think that gave us an opportunity and really know to, to really know that we had put that game behind us. Now, if, 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 you know, when I won the Super Bowl in Tampa, we didn't have a week in between. So we beat Philly. We had to turn around and get on a plane um, Monday and head to San Diego. So it was a whirlwind turnaround, and, and it was very similar because Philly was our nemesis in Tampa. Like we hadn't beaten them, we hadn't beaten them in the cold, all these different theories and stuff. And um, it was tough for us to kind of put that game behind us, but we did. Uh, but the fact that we had a week off in between New England and, and the Bears kind of helped helped everyone, especially the people that had been there. Again, I didn't have the scar tissue because I wasn't in Indy. Uh, I paid attention to the league. I knew about the robbery and all that. But all the heartbreak that had been endured uh, wasn't there for me. And so for me, it, w- it was a big win. But, man, my mind was on uh, another ring because I knew I-, I-, I knew what that was like. And I was so focused on trying to help Tony get a ring because I was in Tampa when Tony got fired. And we went on to win a ring um, subsequently after that. And everybody said it was his team. Well, here's an opportunity for him to get his own ring. And so it was one of those deals where, for me, my motivation uh, and, and my mindset was probably a little different than everyone else's. But we all came together nevertheless. Lastly, Booger, um, I don't know if you know, Country Kitchen actually had a fire here about three years ago. Um, burnt down, totally. They, they, it is reopened. That's the good news, right? Um and then I'm curious to this, being from Winsboro, if I'm saying that right, Winsboro, Louisiana, you're from northern Louisiana, right? I mean, I've been Correct. down, I've been to Baton Rouge, I've been to Louis, I've been to New Orleans, I've been to the, the, the bayou, or how, however you say it there. So I've had Cajun food. Now, d- does Cajun food go all the way into northern Louisiana, or like w- what sort of stuff did you grow up on that, that made Country Kitchen, obviously, because Country Kitchen is as authentic as, it, as authentic as it gets, and people love it. Yeah, well, that's what I grew up on. So the Cajun stuff is, is more Creole, it's more down south. So probably Baton Rouge would probably be your line of delineation when, you, when you're when you going north, anything above Baton Rouge. Now you're starting to get into, you know, your your beans and your yams and your greens, <laughs> all the things the country kitchen has. And so anything kind of south of that. Now you're in your Cajun and your Creole and your gumbo and your etouffee and your jambalaya. And now you're like at Yats, so, right, yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's definitely a difference. 
you know, when it comes to food in the state, but you can't go wrong either way. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to give Country Kitchen and St. Elmo Steakhouse credit for being part of what brought a Super Bowl championship to Indianapolis. But you were, I've always said, Booger, and I will continue to say it, you were the piece that cemented the whole deal. Um, But appreciate the time, and we certainly look forward to watching you on ESPN, especially with Monday Night Countdown. I appreciate it, man. Far too kind, buddy. Thanks. All right. Booger McFarland joining us on the hotline. Good conversation. You just heard from Kevin Bowen terms of what they're going to be talking about on monday he will join us here momentarily to preview the colts and the jaguars and as we talked about uh so far what we do know is in terms of players in players out uh it does appear as though quitty pay and bernard ryman would be trending towards playing right yeah based on the practice reps they got Ali cox out right yes yes by the way would this game and maybe it does and i'm just missing it but would this game feel bigger in terms of what's at stake and the trajectory of the franchise if Anthony Richardson was playing? Because I feel like it would. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. I, I mean, it gives you a, a better sample of who long-term they want to be, right? right? But they still, I, you know, as we talked about with Booger McFarland, and again, that interview with Booger McFarland is going to be up on the website uh hope you will get a chance to go back and listen to it because it was great querying company wherever you get your podcast he offered some great insights uh not only about the colts but about when he was here and helped put them over the top to get a super bowl but i think that you know as he was talking about you know maybe jacksonville has kind of righted the ship but i don't think that we thought that these two teams would be this close to one another yeah. statistically speaking as they are joining us now to talk about that more you hear him in the morning with andy sweeney on the wake up call with kb and andy kevin bowen joining us uh, kevin uh, most importantly your son picked the colts and that's been a while since that's happened right um that's that seems right he's 3 and 2 on the year so he certainly has picked the colts at different stretches but I want to say the last, well, maybe he picked the Colts against the Rams now that I think about it, but he definitely picked the Titans last week. We've had people saying he's right-hand dominant. You need to put the Colts helmet on the right side. I'm like, guys, he's 12 months. I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, are we, really, we, we, we sound like Earl Woods with, with uh, some of this chatter here. But, yes, he did uh, He did go with the Colts. Um, who did you, And you went with who, Kevin? I went with Jacksonville, and I, honestly, in probably the last hour or so, I, I almost feel a little bit better about that pick. I was a, a hair on the fence, but I think the loss of Braden Smith, which was just announced um, you know, about an hour ago, I, I think that's a big deal. I think he's one of your more indispensable players. Josh Allen, not the quarterback, the pass rusher, is a pretty good pass rusher, and he will be opposite Blake Freeland, I would assume, a whole lot. It's also a late-week announcement. You know, I, I know um, – Freeland practice on Wednesday for Braden Smith, but Braden got a hip injury in Thursday's practice, so he's out. And so, I think that's a big deal when you're playing uh, when you're playing a really good front. You know, the we'll begin, I guess, with Jacksonville actually, Kevin, in the fact that you know clearly we're not sitting there analyzing game in and game out the Jacksonville Jaguars. But to your point, they do have the ability to get to the passer. I it. it it felt to me at the beginning of the year like I thought that front four was a little nastier than they've been so far, but they had the ability to put pressure on. But going back to week one, and maybe it's a different team on both sides of it, but going back to week one, if you look at the areas that Jacksonville was able to exploit of the Colts, the area the Colts need to shore up from that would be what? Um, I don't think the Colts secondary got torched in that game, but you could look at it statistically at the end and it looks like a poor day for the secondary. But I think for any of us that watched that game, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, as you know, Jake, I mean, he just made some big time throws and a variety of different Jacksonville pass catchers made impressive grabs. Again, I don't think the Colts got torched. Like I don't think it was, you know, as Puka Nakua running free or DeAndre Hopkins running free. I just thought at moments of truth, Jacksonville, uh, out outplayed you, even though I thought the coverage was was decent in those situations. So I think that is a big you know element to it again. I mean, I, I think with Travis Etienne and that wideout group, even without Zay Jones, who's going to miss this game, uh, and then obviously throwing Lawrence, I think it's the best collection of quarterback skill you'll face all year long outside of maybe Cincinnati. So um, 
I, I would point to that. Now, so much has changed, though, Colts-wise. I mean, even in the secondary. You know, the, that game was Dallas Flowers and and uh, Daryl Baker Jr. around Kenny Moore. And now Sunday it'll be, you know, Juju Brents and Jalen Jones. But obviously your running backs, I mean, it was just such a pathetic week one effort um, out of Deion Jackson and company. And now it's, you know, Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I, I can't think of a bigger upgrade or maybe a bigger 180 from that. And then obviously quarterback-wise, it, it'll look a lot different with uh, going from Richardson to uh, to Minshew. KB, as you follow injury reports and you look at where Bernard Ryman and Quiddy Pay are at right now, Eddie brought this up. They're both full participants, but they still remain in the concussion protocol. And, and I, I'm kind of relying on you to educate us a little bit more on this. Would you look at the practice report as the indicator that okay it's probably just a formality and they'll clear it or is there still gray area for they both might not make it out of concussion protocol yeah i mean i would say the former and that it is a formality but i with all these jimmy especially concussions i i hate to like kind yeah. of commit to a hundred percent but let's look at ryman he practiced i believe on friday a week ago friday um, and then practice all this week. I mean, any time a guy's coming back from a concussion, practices four straight times out of a no-contact jersey through all of that, that's a good sign. Quiddy Pay, he practiced the entire week. And both these guys have already missed the game. So both of them have already – I think actually Ryman's missed two. Um, so uh, given all of that, I would say it's a good sign. But, you know, again, you had Ryan Kelly practice multiple days a few weeks back, and then, boom, all of a sudden on Friday he has a setback and – he doesn't go, but I, if you had to make me kind of peg one of them, I would say that both of those guys play. And without, you know, uh, Braden Smith, obviously, Ryman is an absolute must because you want Blake Freeland. You, know, you, you can't clone Blake Freeland in this situation. On the Jaguars' side of the ledger, is Calvin Ridley the most explosive wide receiver test the secondary has had all year? Um, explosive is probably the good word to use. I mean, you know, I think Pupinaku is good. I think DeAndre Hopkins is good. Uh, who's the other guy that torched him? Nico Collins, right? Um, but it, it, explosive is probably the right way to put it, Jimmy. You know, maybe some of those other guys are kind of more death by a thousand paper cuts, which Ridley, I think, has the ability, even though in that game I don't think he had just like, you know, give me the ball, watch me, you know, run around like Tyreek Hill. But I think he's got a little bit more of that game breaking in him. Now, I you know, I brought it up earlier, and I think it's worth coming back to, you know, Nose Jones for Jacksonville. And you go back to that week one matchup, all three of those wideouts, and really throw in Evan Ingram too. I mean, Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley and Zay Jones and Ingram, they all made just some darn – I mean, they all made plays that you dream of a Colts wideout making. And that element of, okay, Nose Jones, you know, that that's a big deal because I think Jacksonville probably looks on paper and says, hey, our strength is what? Wideouts. Uh, where's the Colts' weakness? Oh, secondary. Okay, boom, let's test that. And, and now, if you want to, you know, maybe you could match up Kenny Moore a little bit more with the Calvin Ridley because um, you know that their depth, Jacksonville wideout depth, isn't, um, you know, as extreme maybe as it was back in week one. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Ridley, of course, is a stud. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence in week one looked pretty good. And, obviously, he, um, he looked pretty good in London as well. Kevin, does the play of Zach Moss in any way dictate the 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 rate in which they bring back and continue to use Jonathan Taylor? I know that sounds crazy because we know Taylor is an elite level running back, but do you think that there's like a sense of urgency in getting Taylor reinvolved, or do you kind of temper that a little bit because of the way Moss has played? By the way, I heard your Moss reference to Drew Ogletree earlier in the week going the tree Moss comment, and I shamelessly admit I did laugh a little bit there. So, <laughs> well, thank um, you. Uh-huh. Yeah, nice. I don't know if I want to admit that in a public setting, but I just did. Um, you know, I, I, I still think with running back, you ride the hot hand. And, I mean, I, I know how much you're paying Taylor, and obviously Taylor can certainly – things could change. I mean, you come out on Sunday and all of a sudden Jacksonville – you know, has no answer for for Taylor. Maybe the second half that totally changes. Well, you're not paying him that rest. much yet, right? Well, yeah, and, and I just think you ride the hot hand. And I almost feel like with the Zach Moss story, it's a hell of a story. But Zach Moss was taken one round after Jonathan Taylor in the 2020 draft. Like, let's not act like you know Zach Moss was, you know, on a couch 
last week. I mean, this is a guy that certainly did something of note in college. I mean, Utah's all-time leading rusher. And NFL teams viewed him in enough of a light to take him in the third round. I mean, if you draft a running back in the third round, you mean something. Now, obviously, Buffalo, it didn't work out for him. Um, you know, it's funny. My, my bro- brother-in-law texted me earlier today, and he's got Moss and Taylor on his fantasy team. He's like, okay, what, do, what would you do? You know, part of me looks at that and thinks, all right, you give the running backs 30 carries as Moss 18, Taylor 12. I mean, Taylor was six last week. So do you double that amount? Um, again, on paper, that seems fair to me, but I'm such a believer, especially at running back, that so much of it is just based off of hot hands. I mean, I remember times, honestly, in Taylor's career where it's like, you know what? It might make sense if they go to Naheem Hines for another series here even though obviously Taylor's the guy that, you know, you would point to more often than not. So, uh, again, maybe a slight more than 50-50 to Moss, but ride the hot hand is how I kind of believe in it. In that same vein about riding the hot hand, Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan with the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Jake asked me yesterday if Gardner Minshew – remember how he phrased it, so I'll phrase it this way to you. If Gardner Minshew leads the Colts to an AFC South first place – spot between now and a potential return for Anthony Richardson. Do you stick with Minshew or do you throw the rookie bat out there? I know we're simulating six weeks, five weeks into the future, but what do you do? Okay. So give that to me again. So when Richardson returns, are we saying that Colts are first place in the South? Oh, what game? What game? Let's say, let's say, Let's say Buccaneers for the sake of argument. That'd probably be the earliest, but let's say Buccaneers, 26th. Okay, and not to get too technical, has Minshew looked good or has Matt Gay kicked a bunch of 59 yard field goals <laughs> to win this game? Jake, let's say that Minshew's looked Minchu's good. Minshew's yeah? been efficient. He's been the guy that we've seen so far that has won games for them. He is who we thought he was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis Green. No problem. Um, yeah, I, I would. I'd probably go back to Richardson, and I've lived in much more of a you commit the refs to Richardson, but I'm trying to make the baseball analogy with these games with Richardson and Gardner. I mean, in two of the three wins, I mean, hasn't Richardson pitched five innings and he's left with a 3-1 yeah. lead? I mean, like, he, he certainly the Houston game, it's been even a bigger lead, and even the Tennessee game, he gave you a little bit of a lead. And I do think when you prepare all week and you play a quarter and a half against a totally different style quarterback, that change of pace, while Gardner should be commended for how he's played, I think that change of pace is really big. Um, if you le- the, the, the reason I was curious about what game you were pointing to left in the season, you know, if you go to Tampa Bay, that's still seven games left in the year. I mean, that's a big yeah. amount of games. And again, I think Richardson just gives this offense more juice, more potential, however you want to describe it. Um, certainly I, I don't want to discredit what an AFC South lead would look like, and I don't want to discredit Gardner Minshew, but I still even think in the short term, Richardson gives you more, and obviously the long term. And that storyline just speaks for itself of how, in my opinion, I just think it's the most important storyline, bar none, in the season. Kevin, I hate to, to beat this dead horse, but I will. Um, how long do we give and and I know that he shows flashes don't get me wrong I mean I'm not sitting here saying that this is like that we've entered into you know write it off category but I'm becoming increasingly concerned that Alec Pierce is not going to really take off and give them the the flexibility they need at the receiver position Uh, a am I being too critical and b if I'm not what's the window of time before you kind of know who a receiver is yeah, I, I don't think you're being too critical. I mean, certainly if you're Michael Pittman's agent, you're probably thinking to yourself, hmm, uh, we've got some more leverage here based totally. on how Alex Pierce has looked through the first handful of games of this season. You know, the thing about Pierce is you can make the case he's a one-trick pony. That one trick is pretty darn good when it's clicking, and that is the ability to bring in deep balls. Uh, I mean, we saw it in the Jacksonville meeting last year at home. I mean, his ability to ice the game with that deep ball um, from Matt Ryan. So that is what makes him, you know, kind of like, I don't know if attractive is the right word, but, you know, there are some wideouts, like Josh Downs, for example. His strength is probably a little bit more underneath. Now, obviously, Downs made a play down the field last week. That was pretty impressive. But, like, for Josh Downs to truly impact the game, you almost feel like he needs four or five catches. The really, okay, oh, boy, two of those came on third down, and, okay, he moved the chains on three or four of them. 
Whereas Pierce, he's probably more of like if you target him three times down the field and he catches one and draws a 30-yard pass interference, those are huge plays that can spark drives. And, again, Pierce has shown that. Now, having said it, you know, I tend to think we're right in that breaking point of when you have to evaluate. I mean, year two into year three I think is huge. I also think Richardson to Minshew probably hurts him a little bit because, again, his strength is down the field. But we're definitely reaching that point. I mean, um, I think you can still be open-minded to what he can be, but at the same time you acknowledge what he's shown so far, and that is in no way, shape, or form do I view him, Michael Pittman, and Josh Downs and think that is the wide-out trio for Anthony Richardson for the next five years. I, I, I like some of those guys, and I think they can be decent wideouts, but um, you'd be putting way too much on the plate of your young quarterback to kind of view, I think, those three of these are the – you know, this is the trio of the future, no questions asked. Kevin, if you're Chris Ballard and you know uh, – insert Mark Dykton playing the wideouts bit from Chris Ballard here, but <laughs> if you are Chris Ballard and you know – you're looking at your wideout positions for Anthony Richardson, and you know you've got to get a wide receiver. Do you get one to go above or below Michael Pittman? Oh, above. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I view it like Stephon Diggs trade to Buffalo and what what was that, Allen's second year, third year, something like that. Obviously, A.J. Brown's a Philly uh, after Hertz's, you know, first big season. Yeah, I view it in both of those lights of, somebody above and I like Pittman I've probably been maybe a little bit more pro Pittman than most but uh, yeah you got to go above and beyond especially when you look at tight end Jake and I don't like there's not a Kelsey in that and Kelsey's way too high of a of a bar but you know whatever insert whoever the third best tight end is in the league you don't have that in that room so uh, you know when you kind of are talking pass catcher um It'd be one thing if you had this bona fide kind of Pro Bowl tight end where maybe you could offset a little bit of wide out, but I would say above Pittman for sure. I think tight end, Kevin, the thing to me that's the most fascinating about the tight end position for the Colts is the fact that I still haven't figured out if they're really deep at tight end or if it's just that they have like four or five guys that are all equally mediocre. And I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer when I say that, but I haven't been able to determine that. Which way would you lean with that? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think the depth guys are a little bit better than mediocre. Like, I'm kind of intrigued by Drew Ogletree here as of late. Um, I'll be eager to see. We'll see if Moali Cox clears concussion protocol in time for Sunday. I'm eager to see Will Mallory again. Um, You know, it wasn't much, but he showed me a little bit earlier this season. And then Jelani Woods, Shane Steichen said today at some point, they expect him back this year, but he's been out due to a hamstring injury all year, extremely nagging hamstring injury, aggravated in training camp, and has been out since. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think there are, like, a notch above mediocre with some intrigue. And, and I don't know. Maybe we've kind of reached it with Mo Alley-Cox if we kind of know what he is at this point, so maybe kind of put him to the side. But you know, guys like Mallory, guys like Ogletree, uh, I, I would say even Jelani Woods showed enough last year to we, where he would fall into that category. But I mean, still, for, you know, if you all of a sudden got in the draft and you were drafting 11 overall or 12 overall and Brock Bowers from Georgia was there, I mean, that to me would be really hard to pass up just because I do think in this day and age of the NFL, if you've got an absolute stud at tight end, that can be a massive weapon. And, you know, if you need any reminder, just watch last night. To your point, yeah, I don't see a Dallas Goddard. I don't see a Mark Andrews right now. Just looking for like, the, yeah. and those are still top yeah, names. But, but yeah, that's that's probably about the range I would like to see. And I mentioned that earlier in the week of like, you think Shane Steichen probably wants that when you look at what they were able to do in Philadelphia with Goddard as kind of their lead tight end. Kev, when you look at Kevin Bowen as our guest, when you look at the next six weeks for both these teams, Jaguars have a bye mixed in, but they go... Saints, Steelers, Niners, Titans, Texans, and the Colts will throw a couple out there. Browns, Saints, Panthers, Patriots, Buccaneers. Is this the last best chance for the Colts to take a commanding conversation around the AFC South? The only reason I'd go back and forth with it is because they do have that third place schedule to where like there'll still be room if the Jaguars stumble, but does this feel like their last best opportunity to really have a conversation about winning the South? Yeah, I, I would say it, it's um, 
it's about as important as you're going to get in week six. And I, I think people would find it interesting if they watch it's kind of a question I threw to Shane Steichen today at the end of the presser. I think if they'll watch and listen to Shane's answer, uh, that's a pretty locked in, fired up individual that fully knows what Sunday means in that you don't play another divisional game for about two months after this one. Uh, you're already two and one in the division. So that's a nice start. You win this, you're three and one. If you win this, you'll obviously have split the head-to-head of Jacksonville. It will be Jacksonville's second division loss. And that is the second tiebreaker after head-to-head. And obviously head-to-head would be split. So you'd be in the driver's seat to have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the team that I think everyone views as the favorite in this division. Well, take it a step further. You just laid out some of the schedule coming up, Jimmy. Uh, I think I saw earlier this week the Colts have the third easiest schedule the rest of the way. Jacksonville, I believe, has the sixth toughest schedule the rest of the way so when you factor all that in i mean i know it's october 15th but just absolutely massive sunday in terms of what it means and obviously when you lose the first matchup with this opponent um it it certainly matters more and if you were to lose sunday then you would you know then you'll be a game back and you won't have the head 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 tiebreaker so all of that kind of factors in so yeah i mean i think if you want to be in any sort of driver's seat whether it's halloween whether it's Thanksgiving, you know, as you look ahead to these future dates, Sunday is kind of in the must-have. You could still get back into it, but you're going to have a lot of ground to make up if you lose on Sunday. Kevin, I don't know if you um, caught the program yesterday or heard the chatter about it, I think, but I'm curious. And then I promise, Jimmy, after this, I'll put it to bed, right? But but we're getting a survey of coworkers here. That's important. I agree. We need it. Um, yesterday, Kevin, we started doing the show, and I looked over at, at – Jimmy, and you know, I mean, Kevin, you, you've done enough radio with me. You know that I'm very attentive to to the other people on the radio when I'm on the air, right? I mean, I pay very specific attention. I don't get distracted by anything. And No, uh-huh. no not at all. And uh, <laughs> I look over, and, and, and Jimmy is on his, you know, he's a married guy, right? Like you, married guy. And, and I noticed that his wedding band, I'm like, well, it looks tarnished. It changed colors. <laughs> And then I noticed that he had removed his wedding band and, in fact, was wearing a plastic Kansas City Chiefs ring because the Chiefs were playing yesterday. And he said, oh, yeah, no, this is – what's that? It was silicone, just, okay. for the, just for the sake of the story. Um, and, and, and he said that his wife is A-OK with this. And I said, she might tell you she's A-OK with it, um, but she's definitely discussing it with her friends. You, Kevin, have been obviously connected with the Colts for a long time. What would Maddie say to the removal of the wedding band on game days and the placement of a Colts ring? Or Notre Dame. Or Notre yeah. Dame. Notre Dame basketball. Yeah. How about Notre Dame basketball? Yeah, I think I'd probably be doing the dating apps. I, I'd probably be trying to you know, figure out what the next option is. I think Maddie would probably <laughs> would, 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 would you would say, probably have gone down. Would you say what I did is worse yeah. than uh, than losing a wedding ring and then having someone needing to come and save the day and, and track down said wedding ring? Would you say like what I, I did was worse or just, just trying to clarify here? I love me some Jimmy Cook. Love Jimmy Cook. <laughs> um, and, and this is the yeah, but as I, as I preface it, but yeah. man, I Chiefs ring, I just – Boy, I, I don't know if I can go there. I mean, I've done a lot. I mean, Jake's seen it. I've been shirtless before for a Notre Dame basketball hire. I've certainly done a lot of things that Maddie has looked at me and been like, you're this passionate about Notre Dame sports? Um, but I would say removal of a wedding ring and putting a silicone, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here, yep. silicone Notre Dame ring on, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you yeah, wore I'm a silicone gonna, ring daily, would it again. would it be better or still about the same level of nah? Can't I, do it. Like part of me is like trying to like picture what the chief ring looks like. It's I mean, a it's, it's a, like a red ring. Side, Mahomes on the other. <laughs> it's a red <laughs> ring and it just has Chiefs wall. writing in yellow. It's just literally a red ring with and it just says Chiefs in their font in yellow on 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 the band. Our listeners sent us Colts ones in terms of the pictures online. We could probably hook you up if you're in the market. Well, did you win this at like a if steak and shake was still around? Did you get the steak and shake? Uh, <laughs> That's exactly uh, what two I quarters, said. Two, two quarters, two quarters. Yeah, yeah, machine yeah, on the way yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, I love you, man. But congrats on the win last night. Thank but, you. Oh boy. Yeah, I think if you wouldn't, if you just would have rocked the ring, you might have scored, you know, twenty-seven or thirty-one last night, and not struggle with Denver for yeah upwards of three quarters. Probably. Now, did you actually, Kevin? Did you actually? Wa- I mean, I know you got to get up early. Did you watch that game last night? 
Yeah, actually did. Matt, it was Maddie's birthday last week, and and her and her sister were up in Chicago. They 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 went to a show, so I was like, all right, I, you know, I've got the remote the whole night. I I want to be entertained by a sporting event, so I, I did a little bit of the back and forth. But I, full transparency, I had Denver plus ten and a half. So Harrison Bucker's field goal there, uh, I was not happy. <laughs> I was told it was going to be bad weather and to hammer the under, and I figured bad weather meant Mahomes couldn't throw or as well which I guess he did kind of struggle. And so, uh, yeah, I, I shockingly, I actually watched the whole game. Okay, fair enough. Do you know what roughing the passer is? Because I don't. I have no idea. Can't figure it out. That's yeah, 15 yards. Which, what, what, Thank you. Which player are you complaining uh, about? Uh, the, the score the Broncos had to make it an eight-point game. They went for two afterwards. Chiefs blitzed a uh, corner, uh, yeah, and they yeah, called roughing the passer because yeah, yeah, of yeah. the body weight. And I, it, yeah. Yeah, sounds like you're not. But again, maybe if you wouldn't have rocked a ring, you would have got that <laughs> okay. call. So you're complaining about them not knowing that, but you're going to ignore the fact they just blatantly missed like two penalties against Minnesota there at the end of the game? I mean, you've clearly evolved, which is fine. And you know, as Kevin said, like he loves me. I also love you. You've evolved into this tyrant of apparently everybody like loves the Chiefs from a, it's wearing a white hat, which is not true. But yes, I'm going to complain when it goes against my team. Yes, I will. Yeah. Landed uh landed on the bo- with all his body weight on him. That's probably yep. what it was. Yep. I wish Jake, there was are you storming the field in Ann Arbor tomorrow? <laughs> Kevin, thank you. you. You know this is gonna happen, right? Actually somebody just texted me and asked if I want to go to the game with him. Uh and I've got to write it back. I, I, I can't do that. Um but and, and here's the thing. I would love to go to the big house tomorrow, except for that Kevin it's what is it three and a half hours to get up there probably something right around there so seven hours round trip for a foregone conclusion i know it's going to happen i know it's going to happen <laughs> i mean i'll go up there to, to you know do some jazz hands and, and clap and and snap fingers on the field when they're doing leo songs afterwards when indiana shocks the world kevin i'm telling you right now you mark my words i've never been more sure about anything in my life that absolutely un- unquestionably without hesitation or doubt the indiana fighting hoosiers are going to go up and throw the biggest monkey wrench in the world into the college football playoffs by stunning michigan Hundred and five thousand people average age 105 all in stunned silence you scooping the 34 kev you know i, I i've always been a believer if you have an intra-conference game and I'm getting 30 points, I have to take the team getting 30. Like, because, but then it turns into a math problem where I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I need this drive the last two minutes and 45 seconds. I need this drive the last. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, I blink, and it's like, wait, how did they just score 21 in three minutes? They they just, they literally just forced a fumble on the kickoff. They literally just had a pick six, and they just scored on a 70-yard touchdown. And now my math is done. But to Jake's point, nothing I want more than Tom Allen and Straight No Chaser in the locker room afterwards tapping <laughs> their fingers for that And he's got it. All right, Kevin, uh, Jags and Colts on Sunday, and you went with, officially on the fan, you went with Jacksonville, correct? Yeah, 26-17 is what I, what I went with. It's, it looked like we were kind of split. Uh, based off the graphic, I saw. I went with, and again, this was kind of before we knew some of the injuries, probably yours as well. But uh, I did go with the Colts, um, and and that, and I did that more so out of like still a hesitation that Jacksonville is consistently putting things together, as opposed to believe the Colts, you know, are going to go down there and and take control of it. But uh, I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to go with the Colts on Sunday. But we, we shall see what happens, and I know you guys will be talking about it first thing on Monday morning. Kevin, enjoy the weekend. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. All right, Kevin Bowen joining us on the program. Again, KB and Andy, the wake-up call. 7 until 10 on Monday, they will be talking about this game.